All right, so we're in lesson 13 today, folks. We're going to be looking at Amos chapter 5, verse 1, through chapter 6, verse 14. And uh, so we're going to look at the fall of the northern kingdom. Now remember, Amos is a... Amos is a prophet from Judah, southern part of Judah, well, about 12 miles or so away from uh, Jerusalem, and wilderness area. Remember, he's a dresser of figs, a sycamore tree, okay, and a shepherd, herdsman. So he's kind of a rough guy, and he's been sent by the Lord to prophesy against or to the northern kingdom. So what we're going to see today is, is that the message that he has for them is not good because it is the message concerning their fall. And he's going to address several issues. Some of it has to do with uh, the things that we get in our minds concerning uh, the Lord. We can develop thinking in our mind that's not necessarily based on Scripture, but we can assume things about the Lord and have a false hope. And so God's going to address those things here, okay? So we're going to look at that here in this lamentation, uh, this outcry, this judgment that's going to be expressed. So let's start, first of all, with the kingdom's downfall. We're going to see that in chapter 5. So verses 1 to 3, there's a lamentation. So the prophet shares a lamentation concerning Israel, Israel having fallen and will not rise again, okay? So Israel's going to fall, and he's sharing a lamentation, which is kind of, what is a lament? Well, the Psalms are laments. Laments are an outcry of pain. So a lamentation is kind of like a song of pain, okay? It's, it's a song of grief, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so for instance, how many of you remember hee-haw? Do you remember hee-haw? It's not on anymore, okay? And uh, there was the two old guys dressed up like hillbillies singing, Woe is me, yeah, an agony on me, deep down despair. That's a, that's a lamentation. Do you remember that? <laughs> well, I mean, we're old enough to, right? Because we remember hee-haw, you know? That is a lamentation. Okay, and, and so God is expressing, not like those guys on hee-haw, but God's expressing a lamentation that Israel will fall and it won't rise again. In fact, he goes further and says that the Lord proclaims that Israel will experience massive losses. Massive losses. In fact, look with me at verse, verse 3. Thus says the Lord God... A city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left. That which goes out by a hundred will have ten left to the house of Israel. So he's talking about 90% of them being lost. Okay? So he's, he's crying out and giving a lamentation. So what happens next then in verses 4 to 9 is a call to return. Okay, verse 4, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, 
Do not enter Gilgal. Do not pass over Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Okay, so here's, here's what's going on here. So he calls him to seek him and live. All right, so this doom is coming. But I want you to seek me. Seek me and live is what he's saying. And he tells them not to seek their idols at the traditional locations in Judah. So what they would do is, is they would go and uh, make the northern kingdom, they would go to the sacred places of Israel that were located in Juba, Judah, like in Beersheba or in Gilgal. All of these are well-known places in the Old Testament historical places of, of significant events that happened where God showed up. But when they go there, they're, not, they're just making sacrifices, not to the Lord. They're thinking that this is going to somehow manipulate the situation. And he says, don't, don't seek their idols. Don't seek your, because some of them would offer to idols at these traditional locations. They were to seek the Lord before he brings devastation upon them. He's going to bring devastation. So he wants them to, to seek him, okay? Seek the Lord before he brings the devastation. And, and here's what he says, just so they understand. The Lord is the sovereign creator who brings judgment and ruin upon the mighty. The God they've been ignoring is the God who created everything and the God who humbles and the God who will bring ruin. This is the point he wants them to see. So then he gets into, when we get to verses 10 to 13, he's going to talk about the nation's sin, okay? So this is what they were doing. The nation hates and despises the righteous who speak out. So it's a culture now where those who, who are following the Lord, who are speaking out, who are maybe his prophets, the nation hates the righteous who speak out. They're supposed to be quiet, okay? First, next thing, the nation oppresses the poor while they live in luxury. So they're oppressing the poor, getting what they can out of the poor, but they're living in luxury, the leaders and so forth. God pronounces that they will experience judgment because he knows their sins. God knows their sins, okay? He knows what's going on. So they got two things going on here. They don't want to hear about what the right way should be, so they oppress the they are hating and despising the righteous. But on the other hand, they're also continuing to oppress the poor while they live in luxury. So God says, you know what? I know your sins. I'm going to bring judgment. I know your sins. So the prophet calls them to seek good and not evil so that the Lord may be with them. See, at this point in the northern kingdom, everybody was seeking his own desires his own fulfillment and and rather than seeking what's right and good they were seeking evil okay they were seeking what they wanted they were to hate evil and seek good as they establish a just judicial system all right so let me read something to you here and i hope you don't understand what's going on here look with me at verse 14 seek good and not evil 
that you may live so that the Lord will, Lord God of hosts will be with you as I've spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. Now, does everybody, what, what's the gate they're talking about, first of all? Let's, I'm gonna, I want to help you develop your thinking here. Why am I talking about a judicial system? What's the gate? Okay, it's where the judges sit, but I want you to think, think a little bit more simplistically. Yes, because the walls are fortified, so there would be a gate. All the commerce would come through there. It would be where the officials would be and the elders and so forth. And that is where, if somebody had a problem, you came to the gate. So if, 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 uh, if I had a problem with Rob and I want to take him to the courts to settle it, i take him to the gate. And they would, they would call the elders to come together and they would hear our case and they would pass judgment. Okay? So their judicial system of judges isn't like having a courthouse here. It would all take place at the gate, okay? So that's what I want you to see. So what's going on, though, is before Rob comes to the gate, I get to the gate first, and I hand out some shekels to the elders to make sure the judgment goes my way. Is that a just system? No, he wants a just system. So the Lord is wanting them to what? Hate evil, seek good, and establish what? Establish a just judicial system at the gate. That's how corrupt... See, when you're talking... We're not just talking about people doing wrong. The corruption has gotten so far now that the people who are supposed to be maintaining everything for good are no longer doing that, Right? Yeah, they're as evil as the people they're judging. That's exactly right. They're taking bribes and so forth. And so the Lord wants them to establish a just judicial system. So by doing this, maybe the Lord will be gracious to the remnant of Israel. Look, look at what it says, verse 15. You almost have to pause. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. Here's what it says. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. It's, it's like the, the prophet is saying, you know, you need to do this and maybe, maybe God will be gracious to us, meaning relent. Because the judgment is coming, right? Maybe God will relent, Okay. Maybe God will relent. So then when you get to verse 16 and 17 of chapter 5, he's going to talk about the coming doom. So the Lord proclaims that there will be great mourning as he passes by in judgment. Great mourning. Now, when I read this passage, my mind went back to the last of the ten plagues in Egypt. Anybody remember what the last plague was? Death of the firstborn, those who were spared are those who had the blood on the lentil and so forth, yes, which would have been Israel. And that night when the death angel passed by, there was what in Egypt? Great mourning. That's the picture you think of when you read this passage, is that God's passing by in judgment and there will be what? Great mourning, okay? Great mourning, 
okay, as he passes by in judgment. So that brings us then to the next section, which is the first woe. So chapter one, there are going to be two specific woes here. Chapter one has one woe, chapter two has one woe, but it has, it says actually two woes. And again, a woe is really a lament. Okay, think back to hee-haw, woe is me, okay? It, it's an expression of pain, okay? So this is the woe that God has for them. I want you to look with me at verses 18 to 20, all right? I'll read this to you. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though men fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into a house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? Okay, so let's stop. So he's saying he's got a woe and he's pronouncing it on, now remember, he's talking to God's people here and they have an attitude that he's going to tell them they're messed up on. Okay, what is that? Well, woe is pronounced on those who desire and rest in the day of the Lord. All right, stop for a moment. What's the day of the Lord? We've talked about this before. What's the day of the Lord? Well, yeah, the ultimate judgment, Jesus returning, yeah. And, and this concept of the day of the Lord was throughout the Old Testament. The Jews, both in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, had a concept of the day of the Lord, and they thought... Sort of like some today that we're going to be spared everything once the day of the Lord comes. So like, oh, you know what? The day of the Lord. That's where I'm, I'm just taking it easy, waiting for the day of the Lord. So God says, I pr he's pronouncing woe on them. Woe on them for desiring, who desire and rest in the day of the Lord. Now, some of you look confused. Like, why would, why would he pronounce woe on them for that? Okay, that's good, Jane. He doesn't want us to just be resting and active. He wants us to be, you know, he wants us just, yeah, he wants us to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. Why else would, there seems to be something bother, it, does this bother you? It bothered me at first, okay? Okay, they think they're in the right and don't worry about it because I'm going to be, when he comes, it'll be all okay. Well, the problem is they haven't been doing right up until that point. They got a false Trust in something. See, he's, the issue is a false trust. I mean, so let, I'll give you an example. Let's say every time I'm with Rob, I just do wrong to him. I rob from him. I beat him up. He's constantly bandaged up because I'm brutal to him. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I'm snookering him. You know what I'm saying? Hey, Rob, let's go for a coffee. I leave him with a bill. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm acting like, Someone will say to me, oh, you know, George, you really can't do that. It's not right that you treat Rob that way. Oh, I'm okay. Well, don't you believe in God's judgment? No. 
No, I'm waiting on the day of the Lord because I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want to do. You know what I'm saying? That's the attitude here that God says, woe to you who's resting in, because number one, he's just said to them, you're unjust at the gate. You're oppressing the poor. You despise the righteous who are proclaiming what's right. And then, because remember, we're talking about Israel who are, quote, God's people, okay? But there's, oh, well, you know what? It's going to be okay because the day of the Lord, you know, the, 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 then the, those who are wrong will, but, but I'm okay because I'm a Jew. So the prophet states that the coming day will do them no good. It's not what they think. It's not going to do them any good. Do you understand? It's not going to do them any good because just because you think it's going to be okay doesn't mean it's okay. You know, do you know what I'm saying? So the day of the Lord is dark and Israel will find no haven from God's judgment. It's dark. The day of the Lord is dark. And they're not going to find any haven from the Lord's judgment, period. Do you know what I'm saying? In fact, he's kind of telling them, look, guys, my judgment is coming in, in the everyday now, not just the long-term view of it, but in the day of where they're getting that message right then. It's coming. And I've already told you, you're going to be carried away by fish hooks. Remember fish hooks in the mouth? You, and he's, I said, come back to me and you'll live. But you're not. You just keep doing your own thing. In fact, I'm, I'm resting in the day of the Lord. But he says, no, it's not going to do you any good. You know what I'm saying? Because it is a dark time. And there's no haven for Israel from that time. So the Lord proclaims that he hates their religious activities and their offerings. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, let, let's stop for a moment. Let's look at this together, okay? Look with me at verse 21. It goes through verse 27. I hate, I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like the mighty stream. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried the Sikuth your king, and Shekun, your idols, and the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So, so God is saying here, you know what? I hate your religious activities. I hate them. You know, so, I mean, here they are, they're doing all the right things. They're even keeping the feast days or offering these fatted offerings and so forth. Instead, the Lord wanted justice and righteousness from his people. Now, what's, what's the message there for us? Is there a message there for us? 
Okay, your heart has to be right, not your religious practices. That's good, Bruce. Anybody else? What were you going to say, Tim? Okay, do justice and what's right for God now. Don't wait. Okay, anybody else? What's God really interested in? Our hearts, okay. So, but our hearts need to be expressed how? Obedience. You said it, Bruce. Obedience by doing what's right. By doing what's right by people. Is he really impressed with our singing? Showing up all the time. Making offerings to him. Does that impress him? If, go ahead, what were you saying? Yes. Or synagogue would be, yes. Our, our context, yes. Yes, he wants you to be consistent. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's good, Bruce. Anybody else? Any got a comment about what Bruce said? See, God's, God's really not interested in the momentary worship thing. He wants consistency with how you live all during the week. Because let's be honest. Can we put on a good show in church? Yeah, we can put on, I can, we can act like we're, we're doing good, right? But as soon as we get in the vehicle... If you're cheating people, you're going to keep cheating people, right? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, you can act like you're doing great, you know? So God hates our phony, I guess that's really what it is, phony religious actions, right? Because they're not from our heart. He sees right through it. What were you going to say, Gene? Hypocrites. Okay, yeah, hypocrisy. Yes, okay. Yeah, hypocrisy. So instead, the Lord wants justice and righteousness from his people. Okay, here's the second woe. Has to do with complacent indulgence, okay? The prophet pronounces woe. This is chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, the whole chapter. The prophet pronounces woe on those sitting in comfort and trusting in the nation's strength. So... This is, this is a nation that says, oh, you know, I'm not worried about anything. Oh, yeah, you know, that guy said if we don't get right, he's going to bring an enemy. Like, we're okay. You know what? I'm just going to sit in my luxury as I'm oppressing the poor, and our army can handle it. Our army can handle it. Yeah, do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Well, the problem is, Maybe they got a big army, but they're rotten on the inside, right? The ultimate destruction of any nation is from the inside, not from the outside. Did you understand what I'm saying? And so the problem is, is he's pronouncing woe because they're just kind of like, oh, you know, the day of the Lord, yeah, but man, our, have you seen the army of Israel, the northern kingdom? We're good, you know what I'm saying? We're elite. Well, God's got a woe for them. Like, woe for you thinking that way. Here it is. The Lord 
calls them to look at the surrounding nations and see if Israel is better than those nations. So when you read the passage, he's going to mention, let me look here, he's going to mention, go over to Kilneath, go over to Hamath, go over to Gath of the Philistines. Is, is their territory greater than your territory? So he's kind of like saying, okay, so you're resting in your army? So really take pause for a moment. Go to your neighbor, the neighboring nation. Are you any better than they are? Because Zanacharib, the Assyrians came through and just wiped them out. Do you know what I'm saying? Just destroyed them. Are you any better than they are? The answer, of course, it's a rhetorical question. No, you're not any better than them, okay? You're, you're not any better than them. So quit, quit resting and having a false hope in something. In fact, the Lord pronounces woe well on those who think the coming doom is far off. They think, oh, you know, it's, that's just west. That's a long way off. I'm okay now. You know, that, that's for the next generation. You know what I'm saying? That's for them to worry about, not me. Okay? So, here's what happens. They sit they, it should be, they sit in ease and they are not grieved by the afflictions of their own people. So they're just sitting back in their comfy lazy boys talking about how great things are, but it doesn't matter to them that the people around them are suffering, specifically the poor, that they are going through things. They're, they're at ease. We're talking about people who are the elites of the community. It's like they're, they're totally insensitive. And God says, you know, you guys, you know, <laughs> you're not doing right. So the Lord proclaims that, he sh that they shall go in exile and those at ease will be removed. So they're going to go in exile. They're going to be carried away and their ease is going to be stripped from them. They're going to be removed. You know? The Lord expresses that he hates the pride of Israel and its palaces. So he hates their arrogance. He hates their, their stuff that they've gathered, their palaces. It's all going to be wiped away. And because of this, the Lord will deliver up the city and everyone in it. The city of Samaria, their fortress capital city. He's going to deliver up the city and everyone in it. They're going to be gone. And the prophet describes the horror of so many who will be killed. Now, I'm going to pause there because I wanted to read this section. I want you to notice with me, look with me at verse 8, okay, of chapter 6. I'm going to read to you and then I'm going to explain what's going on here. Okay, verse 9. It shall come to pass that if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when a relative of the dead with one who will burn the bodies picks up the bodies to take them out of the house, he will say to the one inside, are there any more with you? Then someone will say, none. And he will say, hold your tongue, for we dare not mention the name of the Lord. Anybody know what's going on there? I'll help you. 
Okay, so here's what he's doing. He's wanting to express the point I'm making here, the horror of the death. So the, the, the army's going to come with an army. There's famine and there's pestilence. And they're going to say there's 10 people in a house and they'll die. Probably from what they're describing will happen to them is pestilence. Why? Because they're burning the bodies. Okay? Ancient way of handling disease, burn the bodies, right? Okay, so they'll go into a house and gather the bodies, and the people gathering the bodies will see if anybody's alive there, and they'll say, is anybody else here? No. Then they'll warn him and say, don't speak the name of the Lord. Now, anybody want to know why? They're going in, taking the bodies out, burning them, but he's saying to the guy who's left, don't speak the name of the Lord. Anybody know why he would say that? That's kind of a crazy thing to say. Why would he, why would he say that? They will be afraid to mention the Lord's name lest he recognize that some have escaped judgment. That's why they say don't mention the name of the Lord. The guy who's left in a house with everybody else who's dead, don't you dare say the Lord's name. Why? Because he might recognize that somebody was left alive and kill us. Do you know what I'm saying? Because of the judgment of God. Now, that's very horrible, isn't it? Do you know what I'm saying? That they, they're, they're like at this point where they're like fearful of God. But notice there's something here. There's something else expressed in their heart there. Does anybody sense any repentance in what they're saying? No. Do they have a good concept of God or a bad concept of God? <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. But here's my point. What kind of concept is it? Don't let God know I'm here. He might, he might come back and say, well, I, sorry I missed out on you. Pfft, you're gone. You know? Yes, they've been their problem the whole time, Bruce. They don't think that God has seen what they're doing is wrong. They don't, they don't see it. And they got a wrong concept of God because God's been the one that says, return to me, return to me. You know what the scariest, some of the scariest passages to me in the book of Revelation are? When you go through the seriousness of judgment, there will be times when it will say, I think it's like three different passages, that those who are left on the earth will curse God and wish that they were dead. Curse God and wish they were dead. Rather than turn back to him, they're what? They're cursing him and wishing they were dead. There's no repentance. None, okay? Now, the prophet presents two unthinkable images to express the nation's arrogance. So now he's going to talk about their arrogance, and here's, here's what he does. He, he, he brings up, look with me now, verse 12. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? That means on the rocks. Yet you have turned justice into gall and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. So he's, he's basically pointing, pointing out that horses don't run on rocks and you don't plow there. But they think you can. And, and he's pointing out to them, yet you've turned justice into gall. 
and the fruit of righteousness in the wormwood. What's going on here? He's wanting to express their arrogance. They think they can do whatever they want. Okay? They think they can do whatever they want. And so here's it. The Lord will bring a nation against Israel who will afflict them greatly. And my was the most brutal people of this time period were the Assyrians. There are reports that they, when they would attack a city, if it held out against them, they would kill everyone there, cut off all their heads, and pile them up in a big pile outside of the city as a warning. There is a brutal force coming. But they're arrogant. This is the problem. Did you see the, when you read this, you're like, man, wow, God is really harsh with them. Yes, but I want you to go one step further. Look at the people he's trying to get their attention from. They, sin does, it just blinds you, doesn't it? It blinds you to the, to the consequences of your behavior. Where you don't think there's any problem. And so there's going to be this great affliction. All right, next week we're going to get, I think we're going to finish up at next week, chapter 7 and through chapter 9, and he's going to have five visions, okay? So we'll talk about the five visions now. But this ends the section where he talks about the fall of the northern kingdom.